Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Everyone has moments in their life when they feel like giving up at something. Uh, Just a couple months before my graduation for my undergrad, I received a call from the office of the registrar telling me uh, that though I had enough courses, some of my credits wouldn't count towards my degree and therefore I was no longer eligible for my graduation. Uh, And so safe to say in that moment, I was ready to give up. I I had already made plans for the months following my graduation uh, and all of that seemed to go out the window along with this news. Luckily, it just turned out to be accounting error on their part, and I ended up being able to graduate. But in that moment, uh, fear, hopelessness, I I just wasn't sure what I would do in that moment. Uh, If we're honest and truthful, we, we feel this way when it comes to evangelism. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard when it comes to evangelism. We, we feel like giving up. Reason after reason can come up in our minds uh, that can justify us giving up or just simply keeping the gospel to ourselves. Just a couple reasons on the screen for us of, of why we can be tempted as, as believers to give up in evangelism. One, because people struggle to believe whether it be the baggage that comes with historical Christianity or the latest thing that science has said that debunked or disproved the Bible, uh, the gospel can be hard to believe for people. And so that's enough reason for us to want to give up. Second, the message itself is difficult. The call that Jesus makes on our lives is to come and die. Jesus says, come pick up your cross and follow me. That's not the greatest marketing tactic for if you want people to come and and adhere to your message, to come and die. That's really hard to sell to people. Third, believers are promised suffering. (laughs) Another thing that's really hard to convince people to join in when Jesus said that in this life you have many troubles. Uh, that just like he faced persecution and suffering, that we likewise as his servants and disciples will face persecution and suffering. Believers are promised that. Third, the success of false teachers. As we look around, we see false teachers popping up everywhere, presenting a gospel that bears absolutely no resemblance to the biblical gospel and yet they garner attention and and gain an audience with people, and we wonder, is it even worth presenting a gospel that offends people? And so we're tempted to give up in those moments. And then a big one for me, and I I feel like for a lot of people, is our fear of man. We want to be liked. Uh, We want the approval of those around us, and so we hesitate to present anything that will cause people to be offended. So just a couple reasons why we can be tempted to give up in evangelism. And yet the Apostle Paul in this passage 
uh, shows us and tells us what it means to never lose heart and why we should never lose heart in spreading the gospel. And this is the main idea of the passage that we're gonna be looking at today. Because God is surpassingly powerful, we can be bold with the gospel. Because God is surpassingly powerful, we can be bold with the gospel. Paul's goal in this passage, and the passage we're gonna be looking at today, is to convince us to continue steadfastly in, or even for some of us, to join in for the very first time in the work of evangelism, to see the the good news of Jesus Christ continue to spread in our city and our world. So let's, let's take a look at the passage. 2 Corinthians chapter four, starting at verse one. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul here is writing to a letter, uh, writing to this letter to a church uh, that is being influenced by these so-called super apostles. Uh, They have come into the church and have presented these letters of recommendation. So think uh, the endorsement blurbs on the back of a book except this is one group of, of brothers who are just uh, endorsing one another. Uh, they've presented these letters of recommendation, and then they've performed signs of power, and they're starting to gain popularity in the church. Not only that, they start to accuse and, and call Paul and his message weak and unsuccessful. They're doing all of this so that they can gain influence in the church, all for their own profit. Paul, in response to these false claims, doesn't lose heart or become discouraged. Instead, he models for us, in the midst of hard circumstances, how we can not lose heart and how we can continue encouraged and emboldened in the gospel. And why is that? Why are we able to to not lose heart? Why are we able to continue steadfastly in the work of the gospel with great boldness? Because we have been given this ministry by the mercy of God. Look at verse one. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. The question we ought to ask, though, is what ministry have we been given? Well, Paul says throughout this letter that the ministry that we've been given is the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of the gospel, that we are called to be servants and ministers of the gospel to those around us. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is a passage that Pastor Marvin preached at the beginning of, uh, of this series, but it tells us the ministry that God has given to us. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And right here, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And again, right here, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we are given this ministry, but we are also made sufficient for this ministry by God. Earlier in the letter, Paul says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But right here, this is where the confidence lies. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient. And again, the ministry we've been given, to be ministers of a new covenant. God has reconciled us to himself and has now made us sufficient for ministry. And this is important to understand, that those who have been saved by the gospel are now made by God to be servants of the gospel. Those who have been saved by the gospel are made by God to be servants of the gospel. Paul spells out exactly what that means and what this ministry entails, that we continually make the appeal to the world around us, be reconciled to God through putting your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. So this is who we are now. Ministers of reconciliation, servants of the gospel. But notice also what Paul says in verse one, that we've been given this ministry, so we've covered that, we've been given this ministry by God, by his mercy. God shows us mercy by allowing us to take part in this work of seeing the gospel spread in our city and our world. We didn't earn it, but God in his grace and mercy gives us this ministry that we can partake in this work. So what it means is that it's a privilege to do this. God has sent us to do this work. We've been commissioned by God, and so this gives us boldness. Kids do this all the time. It's amazing how how bold a kid is when they've been empowered by their parents to either get something from their sibling or tell their sibling to do something. There's no fear at all. They'll just walk right up to their sibling and say, mom told me to do this, or mom told me to tell you to do this. There's no fear when a sibling is empowered by their parents because they know uh, that if, if, if they face opposition, that their opposition lies not in themselves but against their parents. And so it's the same thing with us. Because God has commissioned us, we can be bold in hard situations. It also gives us a response to unbelievers who ask why we can't simply keep our views to ourselves. Because we've been commissioned by God to do it. We can't. To to keep the gospel to ourselves would not only be a way of 
of giving in or giving up or losing heart, but it would also be a way of disobeying the call that God has made on our lives. And this is what Paul is doing. He's facing accusation after accusation and question after question. And yet what he does, he doesn't bank on his own authority as an apostle. He doesn't bank on the authority of the other apostles. He doesn't say, Peter told me to do this, or the apostle John told me I needed to tell you this. He says, no, God has given me this ministry by his mercy. And so God has given us this task now as his disciples, as servants, and so we remain bold. Not only does Paul tell us who we are, so servants of the gospel, but he tells us what we are to do as servants of the gospel. Take a look at verse two. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, and we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so Paul is saying, as servants of the gospel, we are to never tamper with God's word. As servants of the gospel, we never tamper with God's word. Instead, Paul says that we are to renounce disgraceful and underhanded ways. He's saying we should be like the the people who abandon a sinking ship. It's not worth staying on because it's going down. He's saying that we are to abandon that which is secret and shameful. He goes on to explain what that means with two phrases. He said, one, it means to practice cunning, and then two, it's to tamper with God's word. So trickery and distortion. Paul explains that there is, one, a wrong way that we can deliver the message of Christ, but two, a wrong message that we can deliver. So not only is there a wrong way that we can deliver the message, but a wrong message that we can deliver. Paul calls these kind of people peddlers of God's word. The image that comes to mind is that of a shady salesperson who will do anything he can by any means necessary to get his product moving. He'll uh, add something in. He'll, he'll take something out to make it more attractive. He'll oversell the benefits. He'll undersell the cost, whatever it takes to get the product moving. But, but we can tell when we talk to people like this that they're concerned more about selling the product or getting the product moving rather, out, rather than concern for us as people. Unbelievers can tell this and see this when churches do this with the gospel. When churches trick them or distort the message, unbelievers can tell. This is not the type of church that we want to be. We can and must be the kind of church that is committed both corporately and individually to never tamper with God's word. Why? Because the gospel is powerful enough. We don't need to add anything to it. We don't need to take anything away from it. We don't need to oversell its benefits or uh, undersell the cost. The word of God and the gospel is powerful enough. And so we resolve to speak only what God has given us to say. So we need to watch out for these kind of methods 
in churches, but we also need to watch out for those kind of methods even in our own sharing of the gospel. It's an easy temptation to try and lighten the gospel to make it less offensive, to dismiss what God calls sin so that that the gospel is more attractive to people. Rosaria Butterfield says this about churches who tamper with the gospel or try to trick people in. She says, many churches have failed because they have failed to be truthful. That's what, that's what Paul's telling us right here. Don't tamper with the truth. They have failed not out of hardness of heart or lacking in kindness, but in thinking that they are more merciful than God. When we mess with God's word, what we are saying is that we are more merciful than God. When we try to lessen the effects of sin and what God calls sins, we're actually blaspheming. So not only do we present a gospel that cannot save, but we're also dishonoring God. So Paul says that as a church, we need to abandon these kind of practices. Instead, Paul tells us to be committed wholeheartedly to the open statement of the truth, to simply share the gospel in all of its fullness. And it's important to see that Paul says that it's in the open statement of the truth that we are truly able to serve and love others and honor God. Think about it. If a server at a restaurant were to pick up a meal at the kitchen, mess with it, and then come to the customer's table, put it down, not only have they done a disservice to the customer, but they also bring shame and dishonor to the chef. So in the same way, when we mess with the message of the gospel, we do not truly love the people that we bring the message to, but we also dishonor God. It's the full disclosure of the truth that allows us to love others and to honor God and bring him glory. It's, in the, it's only in the full disclosure of the truth that we can do this. However, this is a complete contradiction to what the world tells us love is. The world tells us to let everyone have their truth, that you shouldn't impose your truth on others. But God tells us that it's only when we present the truth in its fullness without any conditions that we are able to serve and love others. God himself models this for us. In his love towards us, in a desire to, to serve and love us, he discloses the truth about himself. He tells us who he is. The Bible is God's full disclosure to us. We actually believe this as a church. It's in our doctrinal statement. It says this, we believe the whole of scripture to be the full record of God's self-disclosure to mankind. God has revealed himself to us in his word. Imagine, imagine we didn't have the Bible. Imagine God hadn't revealed himself to us. Imagine that God hadn't told us who he is or what he has done, the glorious deeds that he has performed for his people or, or what he requires of us. If he didn't tell us that, we would be walking in complete darkness but God in his love for us makes himself known. Not only has he revealed himself through his written word, but he has revealed himself through his word made flesh, his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter one says this, a long ago at many times and in many ways, 
God spoke to our fathers, so that's, that's the scriptures, the Old Testament, by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has revealed himself, his self-disclosure to us in and through his son, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. It's in Jesus Christ that we see God clearly. Jesus being the image of God tells us who he is and what he has done and what he requires of us. And that's not an unloving thing to do to tell us what he requires of us. In fact, it's a, it's a loving and gracious thing to do for God to reveal himself to us. He's not obligated to do it. And so it's an expression of his love and service to his people. And so rather than leave us in our sin, Jesus with compassion and with gentleness shows us our imperfections, our failures and sin and calls us towards repentance in him to trust fully in his death and resurrection. Paul says that for those who do trust them, that this is the reality then for those who do trust him. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. A turning towards Christ, an embracing of the self-revelation of God to us leads to our lives being radically transformed, that we are not left the same. And so this is why Paul tells us that we need to be committed to the open statement of the truth because it's in the full disclosure of the truth that God reveals to us his son by which we are transformed as we behold him in his glory. Those who use deceit or distort God's word or or try to perform trickery with God's word to try and get people to come in do not reveal to us the true son of God. Those who use deceit and distort the word present an alternative gospel, but the truth is an alternative gospel is no gospel at all because it's a gospel that does not present Christ and it's a gospel that cannot save us. And that's why we must be committed to the open statement of God's truth because it's the fully disclosed gospel by which we love others and glorify God. But before moving on, Paul turns his attention now to accusations that he faces from others that that his message is unsuccessful. Uh, For us on this side of history, if if you know uh, a little bit of the Bible, it's, it's hard to comprehend that people would think that Paul is unsuccessful. Much of the New Testament, about two thirds of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, By any means of, of measurement, Paul was a successful missionary and evangelist. Everywhere he went, it seemed that a church popped out of nowhere. It was planted and the gospel spread out of there explosively. But to his contemporaries, they would look at him and see his failure amongst his own people, the Jews, and then accused him of his message being unsuccessful. He said that him and his presentation of the gospel was weak, But Paul wants to clarify that the lack of belief in the gospel is not any fault in the message. The lack of belief in the message is not any fault in the message or even faithful messengers. 
John Calvin says this of the clearness of the gospel. The blindness of unbelievers detracts nothing from the clearness of the gospel. And he tells us why. He gives us an illustration. For the sun is not less resplendent. So another word for radiant or brilliant or astonishing when the blind do not perceive its light. So the reception of the gospel does not decrease the power of the gospel. The gospel is clear and powerful, and so we must be committed to the, to the open statement of the truth. But Paul also wants to grow in us a heart of compassion. And so he tells us what's going on. He tells us that unbelievers can't see the gospel, not because the message isn't clear and not because the messenger is unfaithful, but because there is someone working against us in the work of spreading the gospel. And that is the God of this world, Satan, is working to keep them blinded. The gospel is abundantly clear, but we cannot forget that we have an enemy working against us out of his hatred for God and seeking the destruction of those who bear his image, even as we continue steadfastly in our efforts to see the gospel spread. And this is why we need to pray. Paul tells us that we we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And that reality must make us dependent upon God in prayer. Why? Because uh, we have no weapon other than prayer. We have no power in and of ourselves. It's foolish to think that we can depend upon our own strength. For we ourselves were once considered blind and unbelievers, and we we didn't muster up enough energy to get ourselves out of that situation. God, in his mercy, brought us out. And so if we have any hope in the success of the message, it's through prayer. Even as we give ourselves over steadfastly to the spreading of the gospel, it must be accompanied with steadfast prayer. Brothers and sisters, these realities should cause us to go before God in great dependence in prayer. Just a number of ways that we can be praying. First, we must pray for humility and compassion. Because apart from Christ, we too were blind to the gospel. God showed us mercy and grace by lifting the veil, not because of anything in us that set us apart. God in his mercy and grace did that. And so we need to grow in humility and compassion for those who are currently blind to the gospel. But two, we must pray for motivation. It can be discouraging in those times where we've been sharing the gospel again and again and again with the same person, but it seems like there's no fruit. We need to be encouraged by the help of the Holy Spirit to be reminded that that the fault is not in the message or in messengers. The fault lies in, in, in the enemy blinding the eyes of unbelievers. And so the gospel is clear and powerful. We need the Spirit's help to remain motivated servants of the gospel. And then third, we need to pray for eyes to be opened. Satan has blinded the eyes of unbelievers, and so our response is to ask God to open them. Paul tells us now that that this prayer that we can make for God to open eyes is a prayer that we can make in confidence because God has the power to do it. God has the power to open blind eyes. Take a look at verse five. 
For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the, uh, give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So not only as servants of the gospel do we choose never to tamper with God's word, but we also always trust in God's power. We always trust in God's power. Paul makes it clear that the content of our preaching and evangelism is to be exclusively Jesus Christ. Unlike those who are making accusations about Paul, Paul has resolved that in his gospel, in the message that he shares, he's not gonna be talking about himself. The desire to preach self that Paul talks about in this passage is this desire to to wow and to amaze the crowd rather than to build them up and to edify. It's a desire to get any kind of distinction possible as a speaker. But Paul's saying that he has no desire to do this. He has no desire to make himself great, but he wants Jesus Christ to be the sole object of his message. We need to understand this, that the gospel is not means for our own promotion. The gospel is means for people's salvation. It must be all about Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us again that we do this in light of who we are. We are servants. It's the preaching of Christ alone by which we serve others. We need to understand that servanthood is at the heart of Christian ministry. Jesus models this for us, that he himself was a servant. He says this in Mark, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then after having washed his disciples' feet, he he now addresses those same disciples and he says to them, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. We are made to be servants of others in the gospel because Jesus Christ himself was a servant to us. And we are now servants and disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we are called to do what he himself has demonstrated for us as an example. Just as he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom, we are called to serve those around us with the gospel, with, with the hope and with, with much prayer, pleading that they would come in repentance and trust in Jesus Christ. Paul now tells us, though, as why we as servants must be devoted to preaching Christ exclusively, because the power of God rests in the message of the gospel. Paul says that in the same way that God spoke light into darkness. So think Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he said, let there be light. He created everything out of nothing. And so Paul says that in the same way that God spoke light into darkness, God is doing that in us when we turn to the gospel and the gospel is preached to us and we receive it. The same power that was at work in the creation of everything that we see and everything that we don't see is the power of God at work in us, making us into new creation. 
Salvation in Christ is God creating something new in us, giving us new life. God brings this about through the preaching of Christ and what he has done. The great distinction that Paul makes here is that though the God of this world, Satan, may blind the hearts of unbelievers, the God of all of creation speaks light where there's only darkness. That though the God of this world blinds, the God of all of creation creates light in the hearts of those who are only walking in darkness. That's great hope. All throughout the Old Testament, as we read, we encounter story after story of people walking in darkness. But God, in his grace, calls them to himself and to his light, and we see that the only thing that can change them is the power of God at work in them. This is what God does in us through the gospel. We no longer want the same things or think the same things or do the same things because God has created in us a new heart that desires new things, that wants to do new things and thinks new things. God has created in us a new heart. And this is why Paul says we can be bold with the gospel, not because our message is powerless, but because God, by the power of the Spirit, empowers our message with great power. That's why Paul says in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God to work a new creation in us where we were once blind and walking in darkness. God causes light to shine gloriously. Where there was only hearts of stone, he creates hearts of flesh that beat. Where there was only deadness, he creates life. Where there was only darkness, he shines forth his glorious light in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, to a church that was obsessed with external displays of power and, and miraculous displays, Paul points them to the fact that, that those who are in Christ, those who have been saved by the gospel are new creation. God's surpassing power is on display every time we gather together on a Sunday. Every time we gather together as a church, we are a collection of those who were once dry, dead, decaying bones, who are, who are now made alive in Jesus Christ. The gathering of believers, so this, this time, as we gather here every week, the gathering of believers should be more than enough evidence for us of the power of God at work through his spirit. Every Sunday, every Sunday when we gather together like this, we should be able to look around and be encouraged because we are a display to one another of the power of God at work. We were once dead, but we've been made alive in Christ. Amen. So God shines his light in us through Jesus who spoke of himself as the light of the world. As his servants and as his disciples, he calls us the light of the world, a city on a hill. We shine the light of Jesus Christ through our bold proclamation of the gospel, of Jesus Christ as Lord over all. God uses this message 
his word to create new life in us. And it's all because God, being surpassingly great in power, we can trust him and know that that power makes us bold in our proclamation of the gospel. So we are his servants, so we never tamper with God's word because it's not our message, it's his. But we do this because we always trust in God's power. Our preaching, H.B. Uh, Charles says this about the power of God. We'll come up soon. <laughs> there it is. Our preaching is not the reason the word works. He's pointing out the fact that the power lies not in our preaching. Instead, he says, the word is the reason, reason our preaching works. The power of God rests in the word of God. And so because God is surpassingly powerful, we can be bold with the gospel because we know his, his word can transform and change lives. And so let's pray for God to help us trust his word and to rest in his power so that we might be faithful servants of the gospel, servants of Jesus Christ, so that the light of Christ might break forth from us as a church, that we might be a city on a hill. All right, let's pray. Father, we, we come to you recognizing that, that the work that you've called us to do is, is a hard work. We acknowledge that, and, and yet you haven't told us any differently. The work that you've called us to is difficult, but you've encouraged us in the fact that, it, that this work relies not upon our own sufficiency, but in the sufficiency of you, of Jesus Christ, that you have made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. You have made us to be sufficient to be ministers of the gospel. You have made us sufficient to be servants. And so we pray that you would encourage our hearts in this moment, that your spirit would remind us that the power of God rests not in, in, in our own presentation or our own eloquence or on any man, but in the very word of God. And so would we be bold in our evangelism. So Father, we, we recognize that your power is great, that your power is surpassing all things, and so we trust in you. And so we pray even in this moment that you would remind us of how great you are, that you are the one who, who gives life, you're the one who creates new creation in us, that you are the one who calls light to shine forth in darkness. And so even in this moment, our response is that of praise and worship because you are great and you are worthy of it. And so we pray that this morning you would find a people uh, who are not uh, withdrawn with the gospel or giving up but having been encouraged with the truth that the power of God rests upon your word and so we can be bold. And so we respond even now in worship because uh, the word being powerful is a testimony of who you are. That the word is powerful because you are. The word is, is able to change because the power rests in you. And so be with us, encourage our hearts, embolden us. Help us to worship even now, we pray in Christ's name, amen.
For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.